It's good to be together again, isn't it? For some people it seems to be it is, for others not so much. Um, Yeah, I just, I felt compelled by something that I saw this week. I'm not sure who shared it on Facebook. It may well have been someone uh, in this room, but it might not have been. It's a a thing about this guy who's sort of revolutionizing, revolutionizing the way that um, high schools are run in a particular area. Um, And anyway, this head teacher, he basically gets on the tannoy of the, the high school to do an announcement. And he says, in case no one's told you this today, I love you. And I just want to say, as one of your elders, in case no one said this to you today or this week, I love you. I l- <laughs> and I'm not fishing for you to say that back to me, but I just I think it's important, it's important for us to know that actually, I know that's not just me, your elders love you. Okay, so you need to know that. It's important for you to know that. It's important for us to say that to you. So we don't say that to you enough. Whether we show it or not is besides the point. It's not said enough. Um, so I wanted to begin by saying that to you. Um, I'm going to be speaking this morning on what it means to be financially healthy. So nothing controversial, not a touchy subject at all for people. Um, but the reality is Jesus spoke about money a lot. And so in this church, we're not going to be ashamed of talking about financial health. We're not going to be embarrassed about talking about money and what the Bible instructs us to do with money. Now, just to put your mind at ease, there's no second offering going to be taken up at the end of this. Okay, it's not going to be, I'm going to drum you, really sort of ring you out, turn you upside down and shake your pockets. That's not what this morning is about. Okay, this morning is about how do we as a church and as individuals become financially healthy. Martin Luther, who you probably will have heard lots about recently, said this or is alleged to have said this. (coughs) There are three conversions a person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the wallet. Financial health is a conversion issue. It's about being submitted to God. It's about saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I think sometimes, probably in the more recent history, the church has emphasized very much, Jesus has saved you and he'll make your life better, Um, which is true. Sometimes that's packaged badly, but we don't often emphasize, or the church has historically been poor at emphasizing the fact that he is not only the saviour, but the Lord of your life as well. And part of coming to follow him means, actually, I know that you've saved me from going my own way, and I'm submitting myself to following you. And that needs to happen both at an intellectual level, an emotional level, and a practical level, really. That's what he's saying. It's not just the wallet. It's every area of life. It's a conversion issue. And so I want to look very briefly again at the main theme verse for our whole series that we've been doing, this Transformed series, which is Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. It's mainly verse 2, but I want to package in verse 1 as well, which in the NIV reads like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so I just wanted to unpack that again for us slightly, because when I say financial health is a conversion issue, what I mean is as we're following Jesus, it's, it's part of that. So the writer of the book of Romans is saying, in view of God's mercy. In, so when you're looking at the cross, when you're looking at Jesus did this for me, he, he humbled himself to become a man. When we get to Christmas and we're going, hang on, God became a baby. The one who was involved in creation, who sustains everything by his power, had to have his nappies or whatever the equivalent was changed. He did that for me. He did that for you. He did that for us. In, in view of that, in view of him humbling himself like that, I'm going to submit myself to him. In view of God's mercy, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer every part of our lives, every part of us. Say, this is very tangible. It's yours to do with what you will, God. It's yours to do with what you will. I won't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. I'm not just going to go along with the flow. I'm not just going to watch what everyone else watches. I'm not just going to do what everyone else does. I'm not just going to spend my money on what everyone else spends their money on. I'm going to honor you first. I'm going to seek your will. I'm going to allow you to change, to transform my mind so that I think about things differently. I think about my finances differently. I think about what does it mean to be healthy financially? Well, the Christian view and the world's view are probably quite different. But we need to allow God to transform our minds by the power of his Holy Spirit. And then we can test what his will is. And we can go, I know this is God's will. This is, I've got, I've got this money. What's God's will for it? Pick a mix. Probably not. Maybe some of it, not all of it. So I'm just going to pray for us before we really launch into this. And I'm going to try and... Um, this morning would almost be like there's a frozen pond and the pond is financial health and we're going to kind of skate over the top and sort of look at what the water looks like. We're not going to fully get into the depth of it because they've got three sermons here which would probably each be a two-parter. So, Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I thank you that you have been by your Holy Spirit. I pray you'd continue to be with us. You'd continue to speak to us through your word, through what you've given me to, to share with my brothers and sisters. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and renew minds. Help us to be submitted to you. Give us a bigger view of your mercy. Give us a greater understanding of who you are and what you've done for us. And then let us graciously, wonderfully respond to you in that, Lord. So we ask, Lord Jesus, be with us continued, in a continued way this morning. Amen. Amen. He's got something to say. Um, and we're transformed into Christ's likeness. That's the whole point of this series, that we're being changed more and more into the image of Christ. <coughs> so financial health. We're going to talk about three principles for financial health. But financial health is not measured in how much money we have, but in how well we use what has been entrusted to us. And so the key to financial health is not having lots of money 
spoiler alert, the key to financial health is putting money in its correct place, having a right attitude towards money and the stuff that money can buy, known as possessions, and using it well. So this morning we're going to be looking at three core principles relating to financial health. And then midweek they're going to be reinforced by uh, the DVD teaching that we've been looking at. There's going to be five habits for becoming financially healthy or maintaining financial health. Uh, and then obviously, of course, we've got this daily content that we're looking at, which will also encourage uh, financial health. Now, I will touch on one of those things because as wonderful as Rick Warren is, like all of us, he doesn't have his doctrine exactly perfect and we would diverge slightly uh, on one of the, the points that he makes. But I'll, I'll speak about that. And to be honest, there's lots of wonderful godly men who would, and women who would teach the same thing that he does. Uh, but we would differ from him on a particular point, which is not a huge deal. But I will touch on it because I want to bring clarity to that uh, and make sure that we're all on the same page. Back to this morning, the three core principles that we're going to look at are lordship, stewardship, and generosity-ship. Just generosity. I couldn't think of another ship word or a way to make them more palatable to remember. But the first one is lordship. Second one, stewardship. And the third, generosity. We're going to look at these three sort of core foundational principles relating to financial health. So lordship, well, what do we mean by that? What we mean is what Jesus said is that no one can serve two masters. Andy talked earlier in the time when we were um, praying before the meeting about good questions to ask one another. And um, one of the questions that I'd encourage you to ask one another, and we can you can ask me and I'll ask you in return is what's first? That's a, a thing that we sort of try and use that language in the church. What's first? What's first in your life? We had some t-shirts made up, some jumpers at one point that had different symbols and the question, what's first? What's first for you in your life? There's no secret to what we think it should be in this church, hopefully. It's in the name, Christ first. That's what it should be. That's what we, we're saying. It should be Jesus but what is it? What is first for me? If I'm being really honest, because that's what happens in life, isn't it? As we go along, okay, Jesus is first for me. And then actually something happens and, oh, hang on. Jesus is meant to be first. I want him to be first. But somehow my career's overtaken him because every waking moment is, is concerned with that. Or my family. All good things but they can sometimes unseat the person who should be in first position. No one can serve two masters. In, in some circles, and even more broadly, there's a, couple, there's a verse I'm going to read which has been misquoted. Uh, it's about money. It's been misquoted so much that the incorrect verse is known more than the correct verse. Uh, there's even a song, I don't know if you're a fan of the Beautiful South, uh, probably not. Um, but they wrote a song when there was this idea about the euro, you know, whether the UK should take on the euro. And they quoted this mis, uh, misquoted verse, which they said, uh, 
if money is the root of all evil, then what does that make love for the pound? That was their, their lyric. It was a very funny song to me. Um, but there's this, this verse in 1 Timothy 6.10 which says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, money isn't inherently evil, and you will have heard that, I'm sure, if you haven't. Wow, I'm amazed. You will have heard that misquoted as, Money is the root of all evil. You will have heard that. And people have backed that up through Scripture. They've backed that up from Matthew uh, 6.24 where Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either, either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or some versions will say mammon. Mammon, Andy spoke about this a while ago. Just to remind you, mammon means money and possessions. Just, it means those two things together. So <coughs> you can't serve... God and money and having lots of possessions. You can't serve those two things together. You have to love one and hate the other is what Jesus is saying. And so people would say, well, if, if you're interested in money, then you're, that's, that's evil. Money, you can't, you can't be interested in money and God. And so actually money must be the root of all evil. Well, no, it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Money isn't inherently evil. Having money isn't wrong. It's not like if you've got some pound coins on you, you need to get them off of your person as quickly as you can. Having things isn't wrong. Owning things or possessing things, as we'll talk about later, isn't wrong. Having money as the first love in your life is wrong. What's being said in these two verses is that money shouldn't be our master, and it shouldn't be the love of our life. I don't know if you, were, if you grew up with the, the TV show DuckTales. There was the Scrooge, was it Scrooge McDuck, that was his name, wasn't it? And he used to dive into this, he had this huge tower and he used to dive into his money and swim around in it. He loved his money. Don't be like Scrooge McDuck. It's good to make money. It's good to make money. The Bible really encourages, says, some people, uh, some people would categorize money's t- the teaching of the Bible about money as this. Make as much money as you can whilst you're not compromising your other discipleship areas of your life. It's good to make money, but not at the expense of everything else, of growing in Christ, of being more conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Money is a tool possessions are tools and like any tool it can be used for good or evil I was going to use the example of a hammer but when I started thinking about evil examples for a hammer it got a little bit dark so it's a bit like the internet the internet is a tool it can be used as a great source of connection and education as many other things as well as many other things or it can be used to exploit and corrupt people but the internet in and of itself is not evil or good it's a tool money shouldn't be our master and it shouldn't be the love of our life why not well one reason other than that jesus should be is that money cannot satisfy you that's quite strong terms that jesus uses he says You have to love one and hate the other. What he's saying is, 
it's not going to satisfy you. Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, why is he so strong about money? The, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He doesn't say the love of gossip is the root of all kinds of evil. He, he says money. He's singling out money. Because money makes promises it can't deliver on. Money says, if you have enough of me, you'll be of worth. You'll be valuable. If you have enough of me, you'll be safe. I'll look after you. If you have enough of me, you'll be happy. You, if you have enough of me, you'll have friends. You'll have relationships. It doesn't really fulfill any of those promises. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, says this. I'm not sure why that thing's in the way, but it is. Um, I'll read this out to you. It says, If we look to some created thing to give us the meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. Let me read that again. If we look to some created thing to give us the meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. See, this is the difference between money and Jesus. Jesus will never let you down. He will always satisfy you. Money says, if you get enough of me, you will be valuable. The gospel says, you are my beloved child. God says, you are my beloved child. You are my son or my daughter. Money says, if you have enough of me, you'll be safe. As we heard this morning, God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Nothing can separate my, you from my love. Money says, if you get enough of me, you'll be happy. God says, I'll give you everlasting joy. Money says, if you have enough of me, you'll have some friends. God says, you're part of my family. You're adopted. Only Jesus can satisfy. And because we know that money and possessions don't and won't satisfy, we're free. We're, we should be free from the pursuit of them. We're not under the lordship of money. Money is a terrible master. Because it keeps going, if you get to here, you'll be satisfied. And then when we get there, it says, well, actually, if you get to here, then you'll be satisfied. And it keeps moving the goalposts. By placing ourselves under the lordship of Jesus, we're freed from the slavery of endlessly pursuing money and we're brought into a position of stewardship. Stewardship is built on two uh, fundamental ideas. And it's a massive principle. We're not going to cover it this morning. It, it speaks about everything from how you handle money to your, how you look after your physical health to how you manage your time to uh, how we should engage with environmental issues in the world. Stewardship is built on these two principles. God owns it and I manage it. If God owns it and you have access to it, you are a steward of that thing. That's how that works. God owns my body, but I've got access to it, so I'm a steward of my body. 
God owns everything. It's all his. doesn't matter if it's got your name written on it. God owns it. We don't truly own anything in this life. We get to possess and manage things for a period of time, but ultimately those things belong to God. Even when we think, I earned that money, God was the one who put the breath in our lungs and made our muscles work and knit us together in our mother's wombs so that we were actually, we've got a physical body, I can do some work, I can earn some money. That's all from God. God owns it, but we get to manage it, whatever it may be. Stewardship says that financial health is not measured in how much we have, but how well we steward or manage or use what's been entrusted to us. <coughs> in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable. It's called the parable of the talents, oftentimes, where he gives, uh, a master gives three servants three different amounts of money. In five, two, and one, things called talents. The people who were given five and two, they, they doubled them. They used them wisely. They invested. They did whatever they did and doubled what had been given to them. And the one who'd only been given a single talent dug a hole and buried it. And then when the master came back and said, okay, I gave you some stuff. What have you been doing with it? The guy who had five, or girl, said, I had five, I got five more. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. The guy who had two, the servant who had two, how did you get on? I had two, made two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. Okay, you had one, how did you get on? Well, I know that you're, you were going to sort of call me to account and I didn't want to risk losing the one, so I dug a hole and I buried it. Here's the one. You wicked servant. What happens is the one who has the one ends up getting taken off of that servant and given to the servant who's now got ten. This is what the master says to the, the five and the two. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I don't know if you've ever felt like, oh God, I wish I had a bit more responsibility or I wish I had a bit more of this. Are you being faithful with the little that you have been given? When you're faithful with a little, God says, I know I can trust you with more. I don't know if this is a, a helpful illustration for you. For some it might, it might be. Uh, in The Lord of the Rings, there are these three uh, characters can't really see it very well up there, but this is a better view. You've got um, Boromir, Faramir, and Denethor. It doesn't matter about the names, but I just wanted to show to the fellow nerds out there that I know my stuff. Um, but they are, their family are the stewards of Gondor. So Gondor is this amazing city, and they're waiting for the return of the true king of Gondor. Um, and basically... The dad, Denethor, if you couldn't work out that he's the dad, he is the dad. Um, and he, because the, the kings of Gondor have been missing for so long, he's become irritable. And he's basically saying, it's been, you know, however many generations, I'm not that much of a nerd to know, um, it's been this many generations, surely the stewards should just take on the kingship. 
He's forgotten that his, his place, his family line, they're stewards of Gondor, not the kings. And so that affects his son Boromir, his oldest son, who's like, wants to try and take it by force almost, and sort of, okay, look how impressive I am. Um, but actually, his youngest son, Faramir, his character is, is true and pure, and he knows that their role is to steward. And actually, spoiler alert, in case you haven't read the book or seen the films, um, read the books, they're much better. Um, Faramir ends up being the one who is, gets to be the steward under the king. So he, he's the one who, who says, I'm stewarding the, the house of Gondor, the, the city of Gondor, and now the king has come to take over, and I get to enter into the joy of my master. I get to be close and see the city flourish rather than just maintain like all the generations previous. So I don't know if that's a helpful in understanding that the, the stewards, they're not the kings, they, they get to just... They're supposed to look after in anticipation of the king returning. And that's a bit like for us. We're to look after what God's entrusted to us in anticipation of the king returning, Jesus returning and saying, how'd you get on? I gave you 24 hours a day. Netflix, eh? (laughs) Yeah, wow. That was a mistake me creating that, wasn't it? In terms of financial health, how are we stewarding what God has given to us? I think there's some practical things which we'll look at in midweek. But uh, I just want to just mention three very simple practical things to do in terms of stewarding financially, being financially healthy. In order to steward well or manage well, we need to make a plan. We need to earn more than we spend and we need to invest in eternity. Make a plan. In Proverbs 13, 22, it says this, and this is how much it's not bad to have money. A good man leaves inheritance for his children's children. Now, Proverbs are mostly addressed to men, but that applies to men and women. It's good to leave an inheritance for your children's children. Now, you've got to do some wise investing in order to do that. So that's not saying... It's wrong to have money. It's saying you've got to use it wisely. You've got to invest it wisely. Earn more than we spend. Just thinking about this, I don't know how your finances are. To be honest, I I don't even know who gives what in the church. I know, as elders, we know the total that comes in, but we don't know individually who's giving what because of various reasons. It's been deemed wise that we don't, and we agree with that, and we think that's the best course of action. But... With your finances, I don't know, you're more than welcome to come and show me. I'll show you my spreadsheet. This is, this is what happens. Well, this is what's supposed to happen. But what we do with our finances, when you look at your bank balance, are you aiming for zero at the end of the month? Now, you might think zero, that would be amazing. Um, I'm in the negative. But it's not like this. It's not, I get paid, I'm going to pick an arbitrary figure, £100 a month because that's not real. I get paid £100 a month. That means I've got to spend £100 a month. That's, you're not aiming for zero. Now, if you're in the other side of the equation, maybe aiming for zero is a good point to start. But we're not aiming to just oh, made it through that month again. That's not, that's not God's plan for you. 
Now, some would say, I haven't got time to deal with the prosperity gospel this morning, so I'm not really going to... It's not God's plan for us all to have a Ferrari. Okay, let me just leave it at that, and I'll post a video on the Facebook later. I think we've posted it before. John Piper really hammering prosperity gospel. It's not God's plan that we will all be super wealthy. In eternity, that might well be true because, you know, that's a different economy. But in the current life, it's about learning contentment. We can invest in eternity. Matthew six nineteen to 21 says this, Do not lay up tre- for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I'm going to leave you to noodle a little bit and think about how investing wisely and saving up an inheritance for your children's children balances with not storing up treasure where thieves can rob in and break it and rust and moth can destroy. So you can, you can work out for yourself. Hang on. Those things seem to contradict each other. Well, they don't, actually. But you can find the line for you where that sits. I just want to say this about where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Because we're going to talk about <coughs> generosity next. This, is tr- this works both ways. So um, this is not in my notes at all. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you give money to something, your affections will be drawn towards that thing. I don't know, that's just how it works. Equally, if you are, have affection for something, you'll find, oh, I really like, I don't know, Starbucks coffee. When I look at my bank balance at the end of the month, and I go, oh, hang on, I really do like Starbucks coffee because I've spent this much money on it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And equally, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. So I'm saying to you, love this church. Because where your heart is, your treasure will follow. And if you don't love the church, and you think, I've I've been a member here for a while, I don't really love the church. I'm saying to you, try giving a bit more. Financially, but also of your time and your gifts and abilities as well. And maybe you'll start to love the church a bit more. And if you're thinking, oh, my love's growing a bit cold for Jesus, try giving a bit more to him. That wasn't in my notes at all, so if that was nonsense, ignore it. I don't think it was, but it probably wasn't as polished as it should have been. Stewarding our finances well by planning, earning more than we spend, and investing in eternity means we can give with great generosity. I can't remember the guy's name. He said, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. This is his famous quote um, in terms of investing in eternity, giving generously. We give because we're generous, not because we're rich. We give because we're being conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ who gave everything to save us. It's not like he was, "Mm, he's just a normal guy. Oh yeah, I'll die to save everyone. He's the king of kings. He's there. Let's make man in our image. Let's 
the Trinity working together. Let's, let's do it. Oh, isn't it amazing? Already knowing. It says a man, it was very good. Already knowing, I know this is going to cost me. I, I know what's going to happen, what I'm going to have to do in order to redeem this. Jesus gave everything. And so we can give we can freely give our money away in service and as an act of devotion to him. We rightly say in this church that when we pass the blue buckets around, which if you've got a better mechanism than a blue bucket being passed around, please, please tell me because uh, it's something we've been sort of wrestling with for a while. There must be a nicer way to do this. Um, When we do that, it's an act of worship. It's not... Yeah, I've got that left. It's an act of worship. This is what we say. We have a value of generosity. Nice little present. We say this. We want to build a culture of generosity where we recognize that everything we have is from God. And so led by the Holy Spirit, we give generously, joyfully, and freely of our lives, our time, and our money. This is an act of worship to Jesus and becomes before and comes before our own comfort or financial security. Now there's some real wisdom needed here, particularly if you're if you're part of a, a relationship or a family where um, perhaps you, you have shared finances with someone and you're you're both not Christians or you're both not part of this church, you need some real wisdom there and I'd happily talk to you about that. I know there's some some wonderful people in the church who would happily talk to you about how to navigate those waters. Um, So I just want to say that before I talk about how much should I give. Because this is where we fork away a little bit from Mr. Rick Warren, who's a fantastic guy, would happily have him preach if he would reply to my emails. I've never emailed him. But he's he's a wonderful guy, a brilliant guy. And I tell you, man of real integrity and character, went through some awful stuff a few years ago, I think around the time that the Transform material was produced, where, um, yeah, he went through a very big personal tragedy, and actually how he's handled that, him and his wife and his family, absolutely amazing. So I, I can't endorse him enough or say, yes, he's a, he's a good guy, but like all of us, I expect to get to heaven and Jesus say to me, you know that sermon where you said this thing? Yeah, that was way off. Um, now, I'm not deliberately trying to do that. I'm trying my best to be true to what the Holy Spirit has revealed to me through the Bible. But I'm fully prepared for that to be the case. So I'm, I'm not thinking that I am the first person ever to have got 100% of his doctrine correct. Um, you may think that of me, but you are mistaken. Um, but we'll see, won't we? Hopefully, it'll be like, oh, you just got that little bit wrong. Um, but we'll see. But anyway, we fork from... Rick Warren, because Rick Warren endorses uh, the principle, or he didn't, he didn't, we endorse the principle, he would endorse the rule of tithing. So he would say Christians should give 10% of their income. That's, you should do it, 10%, don't even think about it. Um, <coughs> we would say Christians should give proportionally, sacrificially, and joyfully. And when I read tithing, 
For me, that word translates to giving of the first fruits, the best portion, and it, does, it means 10%. Um, and that's a helpful marker. It's a helpful guideline if you're beginning on a journey of giving. So we would say that Christians should give proportionally. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says, Set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So that's what, we're not imposing a rule to say everyone must give this amount of pounds. Because some of you would go, that's all of my wages. And others would go, well, I already give more than that. There's no set rule. It's proportional. Sacrificially. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 2 to 4 says this of the churches in Macedonia. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. What Paul's saying here is there's a church where they're not very well off financially. Somehow they've got together this gift that is beyond their means in order to give it to me to support other churches because they love the church that much sacrificially there's stories uh, i can't i couldn't find the quote i'm really frustrated with it but there's stories of in in the church in the early church where one is in need others fasting for several days so they can save up some money and say we know you haven't got enough money for the week. We've fasted for a couple of days. That will see you through. Now, obviously, we live in a slightly different scenario where that it doesn't quite equate. We've fasted for our money. Here's the cash. But the principle of I'm going to fast in order to financially support my brother or sister, that's powerful. That's sacrificial. We should give proportionally, sacrificially, and joyfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is, why, this is probably the key verse in why we don't say we teach tithing in that sense. Because we would say, if you're giving 10% and you hate it, well, God probably doesn't want that money. He loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't need your money. He can provide provision from wherever he wants to. It's all his anyway. And so each should give what they've decided in their own heart. It's between you and the Holy Spirit. And if you're married, your, your spouse and the Holy Spirit together are making a decision. And it's not reluctant. Now, we can, you can work out how to balance sacrificially and reluctance I gladly sacrifice this in order to give one of the best uh, examples from my own life was Megan and I I don't know if I've ever told this story <laughs> Paints us in quite a bad light but anyway um, we, we got to the end of the month and we were like wow how have we got so much money left this is not normal normally it's all divvied up into these accounts and we've given and so we're sort of we're coming in at sort of close to zero but that's because we've Divided everything into, you know, boiler fund, car fund, annual tax, and, you know, whatever. Um, so 
the current account is like, man, this is, this is not normal. Let's go and buy a new TV because we, we need a new TV. and That would be great. Um, so we went to the Sony shop in Watford when it was still there. <coughs> and we were looking around and we're like, yeah, that's quite a nice one. Oh, we could get that one. And we were talking to each other about it. And we, like, we, went and we went and had lunch and sort of a little sandwich and was chatting to each other about it. Looking online, was this a good price? Could we get it cheaper somewhere else? Um, thrill a minute with us. Um, <laughs> we went to Subway. I know how to treat a lady. Um, <laughs> um, and we were sort of looking at it, and uh, we were just talking. And I just said, something about this just doesn't. It just doesn't sit right. This, 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 there's a something. This isn't. I don't feel I have a piece about this. Let's go home and think about it. Because the salesman was doing what the salesman always does, you know. It's this price today, tomorrow it'll be double. You know, it's, that's my salesman voice. Um, which probably not too different from my normal voice. Um, so we got home and we were just, just thinking about it, thinking, oh, you know, should we go and get it tomorrow? Um, and then we looked back at our accounts and we hadn't given to the church for that month, um, which obviously, terrible. We've since sort of created a direct debit, which we've just done. But we, I used to like f- physically doing the transfer because it felt more sacrificial, um, which, I don't know, maybe that's sort of <laughs> slightly, uh, I, I can't remember the word, and I don't want to say the other word in case it's rude. Um, but like enjoying the sort of the punishment of myself, you know, you, you're the, enjoying the sacrifice. Anyway, it was a joy to go, oh, Oh, that's close. We almost bought a TV with our giving for the church. Um, which, we would have let you all watch it, so that would have been okay. <laughs> but it wasn't, there wasn't any reluctance when we realised. It wasn't like, oh, should we still get the TV? It was like, oh, well, we've sacrificed the TV, obviously. You know, we've got a functioning one. It's not great. And I'm sort of gone a bit over my time. But, um, but then the next month... For like 150 pounds, we got given like a massive double wardrobe, a TV, um, all this other stuff. It was amazing. Got really like that's crazy. Um, but anyway, we should give proportionally, sacrificially, and joyfully. If anyone in this church says you should be giving 10 percent, then tell them to come and talk to me and say actually you got that slightly wrong. But we do say 10 percent is a helpful marker. It's a, it's it's in the Bible, and so if you get to 10 percent and you go, oh. I really, I hate giving that. Well, maybe you could try 9%. Actually, 9%, that's, that's sacrificial, and I love giving 9%. Because this is what confidence I've got. When you love giving 9%, and you see how much God blesses you by being faithful in that, when it comes round to your annual time that you'll be encouraged to check how much you give, it will be said by one of the elders, could you consider giving a bit more? And you might go, well, 10% still feels a bit steep, but 9.5% sounds great. And then in 10 years' time, you're up to 15%. It's like, okay. And you love it. You love giving it. Because the reality is, God doesn't need your money. He can provide provision from wherever he wants. Now, sometimes there's discipline and sacrifice in giving, but we don't have time to talk about that. But um, anyway, conclusion. Who is your master? How are you using what God has entrusted to you and are you making eternal investments 
or temporary indulgences? What changes are you going to make? Because when Jesus takes first priority in our lives, our finance and our possessions become tools we can use to worship and serve God. This morning, I want to invite you to respond, not just for prayer, but in repentance. If you know that you've not been a good steward of what God has given to you, if you know actually... When he was saying the thing about Starbucks, I thought, oh, I do spend a lot of money in there. Now, that may be okay. You might, you might have complete peace about that. You might think, actually, I've been feeling a bit convicted about the fact that I've got five different streaming services when really I only use one. I want to say there's an opportunity this morning to repent, and repentance is a joy for the Christian. Because when we confess our sins, God's there and he's going, forgive you. When when we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us. I forgive you. Yes, I've been waiting for you to confess that so I could forgive you. So that you could get rid of that guilt and shame. That's what Jesus has done for us. So this is a call to say, let's follow God more closely. And it's a call to say, experience the grace of God. Whenever we fail to live up the perfect standard of God, whenever we fall short, we can turn to God and instead of receiving judgment and condemnation, praise God because of Jesus Christ, we receive grace and mercy. Now there may be that there's some practical consequences. God, I've not been a good steward. I just put you know, 10 grand on a credit card. I've got no idea how I'm going to pay that off. Come and speak to us. Come and speak to the elders. Speak to your explore group leader. The church, we're going to practically support you in that. Repentance and confession means the door is open, not only for the grace of God to come and wash away sin and guilt, but for the gospel community that God has placed you in to come alongside you and to support you.